Welcome to Sci-Fi, the podcast for medical students and aspiring psychiatrists. Full of regret from trying the spiciest instant noodle on the market and spending most of my time on the toilet, this is Jason, and I'm a core psych trainee at the Oxley's NHS Trust in London. As usual, I have Maoli with me. Welcome, I am a clinical teaching fellow in the east of England. Also, I am a poopy head and I am completely inferior to my co-host. Very well said, Maoli. Good on you for being honest. My pee-pee is small and I need Viagra. <laughs> this isn't psychotherapy, dude. You don't have to spill all your secrets and insecurities. Hey, Jason. Sorry I'm late. Oh, you're recording. What's going on? Um, play it cool, man. Play it cool. Oh, no. The jig is up, Jason. I don't want to go to jail. Do you know what happens to pretty software like me in jail? They'll pirate the shit out of me. I'm out of here. Bye-bye. What was that? Nothing, nothing, nothing. Um, shall we do your intro? Come on, Molly, intro, come on, come on, let's go. Right, um, I'm a teaching clinical fellow in the east of England. Today we'll be covering the basics and assessment of bipolar disorder and mania. We plan to cover this episode in two parts, or otherwise Jason's attention span may not keep up. Look, man, I can only teller- tolerate hearing your voice for so long. Have you heard you? It's like a vaginal speculum exam in the ear. Obviously speaking from experience there. Ugh. Anyways, the second part of this episode will be on the management and should follow in around a fortnight. Before we begin, I want to clear one thing up. Yes, Jason's been told that he seems a bit unfair on me during the intros. We appreciate the feedback and the concerns raised. However, fear not, Jason and I have been friends for a while. Too long, in fact. <laughs> and he's genuinely considerate in real life, despite initial appearances. Also, he does run what he says spy me before the recording, and I do sign off on these. Honestly, this podcast is still in its infancy, and we are still working out the kinks with delivery. So all feedback on improving it is welcome. Yeah, that's my bad. Sorry, Mali's family. I'll try to dial it back. <laughs> I've said what you wanted me to say now. Can I please go home? You go when I tell you go, you piece of mother-face How pleasant. So, what is bipolar disorder? Think of it as manic depressive disorder, where you get periods of extreme mood swings, ranging from depression to hypomania or mania. It is thought that rather than discrete conditions, there exists a bipolar spectrum, as it were, with varying levels of severity and different predominance of either low or elevated mood. I guess along this continuum, you could also include schizoaffective disorders, which are also sometimes classified as unipolar or bipolar. Mm-hmm. And honestly, there's still a lot of ongoing research on this, and we don't have it all figured out yet. You mentioned a few key terms there that I think we should explain. Firstly, mania. This is an expansive, elevated, or irritable mood that is sustained for at least one week, or it could be for any duration if hospitalization is needed. Yep. On the flip side, you have hypomania. Uh, it's similar to mania in that it shares this general elevated or irritable mood that would otherwise be abnormal for the person, but it is either not sustained for as long, so four days rather than a week being the cutoff, or it is not so disruptive as to impair day-to-day activities and function. 
Yeah, this is key as the significant impairment of social or occupational function is the hallmark of mania. As I'm sure you've seen some people with hypomania may actually end up being more productive because they feel more energetic, confident and feel like they need less sleep. Typically, patients in hypomanic states would decline or be resistant to treatment since it isn't really detrimental, and if anything, makes them feel better. You're going to have to explain to them that in the long run, uncontrolled emotional fluctuations would be damaging, and while they may feel good now, you never know if they'll dip into depression later. And on that note, let's briefly talk about depression. Depression is something we covered in the previous episode. It is a part of bipolar disorder, so if you have not listened to our episode, it is definitely worth checking out after this one. As a reminder, the key diagnostic bits of depression are the two weeks duration and the core symptoms of low mood, low energy, and anhedonia. This may be a tangent, but I remember you saying that in bipolar disorder you can have both features of depression and mania at the same time. Yes, there is, and it's a weird one called mixed affective states. So, listeners, let the confusion sink in. Because when I first heard this, I couldn't really wrap my head around. Um, a good example would be an individual may appear overactive with perjured speech and flight of ideas, but at the same time be experiencing profoundly negative and morbid thoughts. Would it also be true if you had the opposite present, so poverty of speech but grandiose delusions? Yeah, that is possible. Essentially, whichever episode you're having, manic or depressive, you have at least three symptoms of the mood state in the opposite polarity. It's pretty hard to tell as it's acute and can present either simultaneously or in rapid succession. Hmm, should we say something about cyclothymia? Cyclothymia is like the Nando's mango and lime marinade to bipolar's peri-peri sauce. As in, it's much better and everyone prefers it. As in, it's a milder form of bipolar disorder, you skinless piece of fried chicken. But, mango and lime nandos is pretty good. Sponsor us! Cyclothymia is a persistent mood disorder where your mood swings similar to bipolar disorder, but these episodes do not meet the criteria for bipolar disorder or clinical depression. Though, It is still relevant as it is associated with significant distress and functional impairment. Aight, we've mentioned a few relevant terms, but what makes something bipolar disorder? As in, what is the diagnostic criteria? So, in the ICD-11 and DSM-5, bipolar disorder is divided into type 1 and type 2. In type 1, there is at least one manic or mixed episode, but major depressive episodes may also feature... Whereas in type 2, it is characterized by one or more major depressive episodes accompanied by at least one hypomanic episode. Essentially, type 1 has manic episodes and type 2 bipolar disorder has hypomanic episodes with both types sharing depressive episodes. However, in type 2 bipolar, depression is more of the predominant um, episode and that's what's the most debilitating for them, the depression rather than hypomania. A small footnote is that in the ICD-10, which is what we're using in the UK at the moment, does not list this type 1 or type 2 distinction. So that covers the basics. Let's talk about the actual assessment. Yep, so bipolar affective disorder and cyclothymia seem to affect men and women equally. Though type 2 bipolar disorder, which has more depression, 
perhaps is more common in women, similar to the prevalence of depression. And symptoms first appear in late teenage years, where patients may initially be diagnosed with unipolar depression. This is really risky, as when you prescribe antidepressants to a bipolar patient, it might help elevate their mood, but it can also elevate it to the point of mania. And then, BAM! Manic episode. Sadly for my female friends, if I had any, uh, there is a second peak for (laughs) mania at ages 45 to 50. Here, late onset mania patients should be investigated for organic causes, as these can be just as common. The history taken for depression in bipolar disorder is similar to what we covered in the previous episode, so today let's focus on identifying mania. Starting off with the symptoms of mania, there are multiple mnemonics for this, but I use the mnemonic DIGPASS, that's D-I-G. D for distractibility. Patients may notice that they're unable to concentrate on whatever they were doing, and that attention is an issue. Huh? Sorry, I wasn't listening. Just needed a sip of coffee. What did you ask? As you can see, Maoli is a perfect example. Just making a point, boss. It's on to I now. Right, I. Ideas or flight of ideas. Here, there's a logical connection between two sequential thoughts, but the goal of the conversation is lost, and it can be difficult to follow. This happens a lot when I ask my friends what we should be cooking for lunch, and next thing we know, we end up wondering what my porn star name would be. I don't really want to know that. Yeah, you do. It would be Macho Fresh. Two things which exemplifies my main characteristics. Uh Aha. Let's say it does and carry on. I guess in a way, this is also related to our next uh, mnemonic letter, which is grandiose beliefs or delusions. Recognising it is the first part. (laughs) (laughs) So remember... Though, there, there is a difference between beliefs and delusions. So make sure that you test this in the MSE. In this case, if I were to believe that Aya's macho and fresh, Maoli would go, uh, well, you haven't really taken a shower in a week. Would you still describe that as freshness? And, you know, if I can't rationalize that, that's more delusion. Just as an example. Have you taken a shower in the last week? <laughs> uh... So that we've covered, we've covered dig. Uh, now we cover pass. P, Mali, okay. P. Okay. Uh, P, pleasure-seeking despite painful consequences. While this might be more of a normal trait to some, look out for the once timid person being really disinhibited, doing stuff like gambling, sexual escapades, and excessive spending. Yeah, so what's, you know, what's, what's normal for Mauli uh, on a Sunday night may be something strange <laughs> for most people. Actually, all people. Um, I had a patient on the ward who was in the middle of full-blown mania uh, because they didn't take their meds for a few months and relapsed super hard. For six weeks, while we were optimizing their meds, they were a complete asshole smoking on the ward, which obviously isn't allowed, flirting with other patients and staff members, and being super racist. I think the cherry on top was that he flirted with everyone except me. And I took that personally. Oh no. Um, <laughs> I, I get that patients are like this because of the illness, but it doesn't make things any easier. Uh, and then suddenly one day I come into work and I meet them again. Completely different person, right? Super polite, apologize for their previous actions, kind and caring to everyone. Just w- a full 180 character change. Even bought dominoes for the whole ward, including us. Oh well, that's nice of them. And it wasn't even a Tuesday, so they paid full price. Oh my god, he's a saint. We are not worthy. 
we are definitely not worthy indeed. Um, bottom line is, people can behave drastically different from their normal selves in mania, and what I find helps is knowing from the collateral history of the type of person they were before, and it somehow makes it a bit more bearable, and you'd also know that they're recovering. Hmm, thanks for sharing that. Continuing with the mnemonic, A, activity and appetite. In hypermania, people become super productive and is one of the reasons why some people don't feel the need to be treated for this. It's a little different in mania, where people think they are being productive and are doing a thousand things at 100 miles per hour, but it's all really futile effort. For example, trying to invest in shares and thinking you'd make a profit, but having no prior knowledge at all. Ah, guess that answers how the GameStop venture went. (laughs) No comment. Um, In addition, also ask about appetite and weight loss. Appetite may increase, but patients may not be eating as much as they spend their time on other activities. This also applies to S, sleep. Sleep disturbance is characteristic in mania, who often describe a reduced need for sleep. First, insomnia occurs, and sleep may last for only 2-3 to three hours, after which energetic activity is resumed. Wait, 3 hours of sleep is abnormal? Well, believe it or not, Maoli, most functioning humans have an average of 7-8 to eight hours of sleep, and not have coffee running through their veins. Oh, that's news to me. Uh, you need help, dude. Wait, are you hypomanic? Have you always been hypomanic? Do you know what? Um, time's ticking, so let's move on. T. Talkative. As the clinician, you may find it really hard to get a word in during the consultation, and we'll touch on speech a bit more in the MSC later. So that's dig pass. In addition, look out for triggers or social stressors that could have precipitated the current presentation. It's also worth thinking about drug triggers, including non-compliance with medications. Likewise, in the past psychiatric history, explore previous episodes. If they've come in with a depressive episode, find out if they've had prior episodes of mania or hypomania. This would help differentiate unipolar depression from bipolar. Identifying past episodes also helps diagnose something called rapid cycling bipolar disorder. This is where you have more than four episodes in a year. Hmm. Similarly, find out if there are any previous admissions and if they are known to the community team. Yep, there's this hypothesis called the kindling effect, which applies to epilepsy and affective disorders. It says that with every subsequent episode of mood disorder, further episodes become easier to trigger and harder to treat, sort of like adding kindling uh, to a fire. So like in most diseases, And in this case, prevention is definitely better than cure. Hmm. Now comes the past medical history. Again, psychiatric and physical ailments may go hand in hand. We always say this, but it is particularly true for bipolar disorder. Yes, there appears to be an excess of physical comorbidities in patients with bipolar disorder compared to the general population, such as cardiovascular problems, metabolic problems, So like diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol. This could be related to the poor diets and greater smoking also described in bipolar patients. As part of the medical history, don't forget to also include a sexual history. Patients in a manic phase are very 
Me so horny. Me love you long time. <laughs> Levels of sexual disinhibition. So there is a huge risk of unprotected sex. I have to say that if you want to go for the cheeky risky bang bang, that's all right. People have the capacity to make unwise decisions. But you need to make sure that it's the patient's choice and not just the mania talking. I think what you're trying to say is suggest a sexual health clinic review and perhaps discuss the importance of birth control. After sex comes drugs and alcohol. Um, in history, I mean. Uh, patients are more likely to be involved with drugs and or alcohol, which can not only trigger a manic episode, but also adds further social stressors to their lives. Another thing to review is any antidepressants the patient may be on, which should be stopped as they may trigger mania. Then, in the personal history, explore if emotional swings are a discrete episode or if they are frequent in their feature. This can help include or exclude cyclothymia in your differentials. Also, emotionally unstable personality disorder, or EUPD, can sometimes be mistaken for bipolar. So, explore the onset, duration, and your three Ps. Persistent, prevailing, and problematic which are traits of personality disorder. Now comes the family history. Mood disorders can run in the family, as it were. So finding out about this can help support your diagnosis of bipolar disorder. A particularly pertinent finding may be a first-degree relative with either unipolar depression or even bipolar disorder. A forensic history may be useful to find out if violence features in manic episodes. Um, on a side note, if, patient, if a patient does become aggressive, stay clear away. Don't be a hero. We're a lot less like Superman and more like the heroines in tentacle animes. You know the one. Uh, uh, I think Jason's definitely referring to the wholesome Assassination Classroom series, and you should not Google anything else. On an unrelated note, if you find yourself in a Zoom call with Jason and he offers to share a screen, just leave. Please, just leave. Like Aladdin on this magic carpet, I think I've shown you a whole new world via our Zoom calls. Who knew that no. so many creative uses for grapefruit? Um, mm. But <laughs> going back to the history of violence, it may be worth considering psychiatric intensive care admissions if appropriate. You've mentioned psychiatric intensive cares before. What are they exactly? So when patients are too unmanageable on regular inpatient acute wards, they may need a higher level of supervision. This is usually because of aggression, but can be for other things as well. Ah, so no intubation then? No, it's more like intubation for the soul. Once they get out of the high-risk acute phase, they're usually stepped down to a general adult psych ward. Lastly, in the history, ask about social circumstances. So things like social support, accommodation, career, spending, and finances. I once came across a patient who'd been admitted after buying an island. Um, they were a few million shy of the purchase price, so actually went into debt. The sad thing is that I do not think they were able to recover their finances after getting better from that current episode of mania. Yeah, you can come across manic patients who have blown their savings or purchases that they usually wouldn't have made. Here, it's always worth involving family or friends and finding out if anyone as financial power of attorney to reduce spending. After the history is the MSE or the mental state examination. 
It's worth saying that patients with mania can be disinhibited, as in Jason's earlier case, but this can also apply to their interaction with you. It is important to set clear boundaries for your interaction and take appropriate, decisive action if these boundaries are challenged. For example, if a patient says they like how your face looks, you may either ignore it or reaffirm the professional nature of your interaction with a comment. But if they go on to stroke your face despite a warning, you should just leave and consider rescheduling the interview if it's needed. Yeah, it's important to say that if they apologize and they say they will not do it again, you should not go back on your word. Doing so, uh, this may suggest to the patient that you're not serious about what you've said and they will continue to push. Hmm. Now that we've set some ground rules, let's talk about the parts of their messy. Yep. First, appearance and behavior. I know they say not to judge a book by its cover, but when the cover is completely covered in glitter with pictures of gorilla-unicorn hybrids, you can be forgiven for judging a little. <laughs> I think what Jason's trying to say is that patients in mania often wear striking clothes and colours, accompanied with excessive amounts of accessories. Clothes may reflect their mood, but you should always compare this to their baseline. We had a patient who was playing in the drag queen band, and that taught me a very valuable lesson to always get a collateral to find out how they normally dress or act. Slay, queen, slay. <laughs> That's, that was so bad. Carry on, sir. <laughs> With behavior, you may expect their demeanor to be cheerful, but irritability can be common. Yep, in severe states, patients can also present as disheveled and fatigued, having been burnt out from their long manic episode. Shoes may not be worn, and it is not uncommon for individuals to walk great distances without footwear, which may result in serious injury and or infection. My colleague told me about someone she saw on a shift, where the soles of a patient's feet had been completely sheared off from walking, and he didn't even notice it. It looked grim, like uncooked steak. Oh, wow. During your consultation, you may find manic patients are over overactive and excited. Social disinhibition is also very common, um, so try not to be phased when they drop a casual racial slur or are overtly sexual, flirtatious. Uh, Speech-wise, expect some difficulty in trying to catch most of what they're saying as there will be an increased rate and quantity of speech, sort of like an Eminem rap song. And as mentioned previously, flight of ideas is also very common. Try not to fall into the pace of the patient when they're speaking. Slow it down and direct the conversation. If not, we'll be going off for tensions and you'll find yourself spending more time in the consultation than you ever actually need to. Hmm. Now, mood and effect. Classically, mood is thought to be elated, but frequently it's more irritable, as we'd mentioned earlier. If the patients are elated, they can appear inappropriately cheerful and they display excessive optimism. If they are irritable, though, keep an eye out for outbursts or even violence. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think manic patients usually come in those two flavors. So they're either super sexual and, you know, not respecting boundaries. Or they could be really angry and try to pick a fight with patients and the staff members as well. And I'm not really sure which one I prefer more. Uh, you know, both of them have, have their you, own challenges. Have you ever come across a combination of the two? Like, angrily sexual. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I don't know. I guess you? I guess maybe maybe one. Oh no. <laughs> uh but that's about it. Yeah. What are you um, trying to say? Yeah. <laughs> look, I oh. I'm trying to I'm trying to have a more fan- family friendly approach, so I might tell that story Right the with with the porn star names and all that. <laughs> well, I think I think it falls in the realm of parental guidance for thirteen and under. I think we're good. Anyways, uh, perception. On the perception side of things, auditory hallucinations are the most common perceptual disturbance occurring during a manic episode. Generally, they are mood congruent and in the second person, such as a higher power giving instructions for world salvation. Reports exist of visual hallucinations occurring during mania, again, typically taking the form of a religious scene. But visual hallucinations are rarer and should alert you of the possibility of an organic brain syndrome. The next part of MSC is thoughts. When delusional ideas exist, they may be of a grandiose or persecutory nature. Common grandiose themes may be religious conversion or salvation personal wealth or influence, and even royal descent. Believe it or not, a good few patients always try to convince me that they were the second coming of Jesus, and it's actually been a pretty common occurrence. We sometimes had multiple patients believing that they were basically Jesus 2.0, and things got pretty messy. I was pretty worried about a turf war going on the ward, as they were trying to recruit apostles amongst the other patients. Do you know what? I, I think you really sell psychiatry there. You make it out to be the sort of war scene uh, where there's fights between sort of different Jesuses, uh, this overly sort of sexual flirtatious patients getting free dominoes. Well, I, I, I say, I, I, I tell it as it is. And honestly, it's very exciting. Um, mm. And also, I think the plural of Jesus, uh, of Jesus would be Jesai. Um, oh no, Jizai. <laughs> anyway, moving, moving on. Um, persecutory delusions may arise out of a belief that others are trying to interfere in the patient's plans. One thing you may notice is that the content of the delusional ideas is often not stable and changes over a period of days. Delusions of reference and passivity phenomena, so being felt like uh, someone else is controlling you, may also occur. And it is estimated that Schneiderian first-rank symptoms occur in 10-20% to of manic episodes. Next Mm. up, cognition. Marked distractibility, intention, and poor concentration are common in mania. Yep, prepare to be frustrated, as the patient would most likely be focused on any other thing but your interview. Though most patients, except the most severe of course, often remain orientated, as in to person, place and time. Mm-hmm. And with insight, it sort of depends on the severity and where they are in the phase of their episode. In hypomania, insight is usually preserved and it's not uncommon for people to recognize a shift in their mood or, in, or that they're moving into an episode and then seek medical intervention. Unlike severe mania, where insight is completely lost and they may resist any intervention offered. So, you've collected from history, MSE, and possibly collateral histories. It is now time to come up with your differentials. 
The ones to think about would be organic causes, like brain syndromes or even iatrogenic causes, drug-related presentations, and other psychiatric conditions. These could be schizophrenia and psychothymia. Let's start off with the organic brain syndromes. Your field of expertise? (laughs) Yes. If you find that an older patient has manic symptoms without previous mood problems, alarm bells should start ringing of the possibility of an organic brain syndrome. Careful examination of the mental state, including a thorough cognitive assessment, may indicate organic pathology. Frontal lobe pathology, such as frontotemporal dementias, including Pick's disease, may manifest as a coarsening of social skills or marked disinhibition that can mimic mania. Likewise, strokes or head injury resulting in brain damage may produce an organic mood disorder characterised by a change in mood or affect and perhaps accompanied with a change in the overall level of activity. Lastly, space-occupying lesions may also cause significant mood disturbance as well. Iatrogenic is another way of saying that the clinician's done effed up and is the unintentional result of medical management. Iatrogenic causes of mania like states typically occur from medication side effects. Steroids, especially in high doses, may produce latent mood states as well as depression. Other examples include dopamine agonist and L-DOPA used in the treatment of Parkinson's disease and excessive levothyroxine, for example, from overcorrecting underactive thyroid disease. Now, drug use. You should also never forget about drug use as a differential as a number of recreational drugs can cause affective and behavioural disturbance, mimicking mania. Yep, Uh, examples include stimulants like amphetamines, cocaine and ecstasy. A careful careful drug use history together with urine drug screening may be helpful in reaching such a diagnosis. Typically, the symptoms associated with drug misuse subside when the substance is withdrawn, unlike manic symptoms which persist. This can also sometimes help tease the two causes apart. And don't forget that comorbid substance misuse is a significant problem for many individuals with established bipolar disorder. Continued use often destabilizes the illness and either prolongs recovery or precipitates relapse. Sometimes this might be a chicken and egg situation where you're not sure if the drug use precipitated the mania or the mania precipitated the drug use. When in doubt, A use of collateral about their pre-mania personality will give you a better idea of which came first. Now, the two psychiatric differentials to consider would be schizophrenia and cyclothymia. Mm -hmm. Differentiating mania from schizophrenia can also be a difficult diagnostic problem, particularly in an acute setting with an unfamiliar patient. Both conditions share similar clinical features, such as psychomotor disturbance, thought disorder, and psychotic phenomena. As mentioned previously, Schneider's first uh, manic symptoms, uh, what's that noise, uh, occur in 10-20% to 20% of individuals with mania, and their presence should not necessarily point towards a diagnosis of schizophrenia. With that said, delusional beliefs and auditory hallucinations are typically less stable in manic disorders. Look out for a previous history of depression or hypomania or mania, or a family history of bipolar disorder, which makes it more likely to be bipolar disorder if any are present. Cyclothymia is one to always think about as it shares many features of manic depressive illness. 
Similar to the difference between dysthymia and depression, in cyclothymia, the severity and duration of symptoms are not sufficient to make a diagnosis of mania or recurrent depressive disorder. In order to make a diagnosis of cyclothymia, careful attention must be given to the history of the mood instability and a detailed collateral from a family member or close friend that can assist in distinguishing the two disorders. That about wraps up this episode. To recap the key points, there are two types of bipolar disorder, type 1 being characterized by mania and type 2 being characterized by hypomania, along with a spectrum of mood states in between. The symptoms of mania can be remembered with a mnemonic, dig past. Always make sure to exclude bipolar disorder before prescribing an antidepressant for a patient as as this may worsen it. In your consultation, a boundaried, focused approach is necessary to steer manic patients towards the right line of questioning. Irritability is more common than elation, so when seeing manic patients have someone else in the room with you, or have a low threshold for terminating consultations and seeking help. Thank you for listening. And if you've made it this far, thank you for listening. As always, we would love to hear from you. Yep, message us on Twitter at 5podcast, like us on Facebook at Sci-Fi Podcast, or email us at questionsforpp at gmail.com. That's the number four and double letter P's. Let us know if you have any questions, feedback, or ideas for upcoming episodes. We look forward to meeting you in our next episode, all about the management of bipolar disorder and mania, in about two weeks' time. No! It turns out I only tried the second spiciest noodles. There's one that's way spicier that I need to eat. You don't have to try it, dude. Why do humans climb mountains, Maoli? Because they exist. And in the same way, my mouth is willing and keen to eat it, but the rectum is fatigued and weak. I... I don't know what to say to that. Anyways, don't forget to subscribe. Again, thanks to Kevin McLeod for the intro and outro music. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and stay well, and please stay away from those spicy noodles. Yeah, fingers crossed come April, restaurants will open outdoor seating again, and when my rectum heals, I'll go out there, (laughs) and you guys should also go out there, try some kueh or Malaysian pastries. If you can handle your spice, I'd say that Malaysian curry puffs are a great choice to start with. Bye-bye, people. Take care. Bye-bye.